Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. So what I wanted to speak about today uh, is Babel Redeemed. <laughs> so I feel like today, uh, the, just as we were worshipping, I thought, what's a really good frame to put this in? I felt like uh, that this was like a spaghetti bolognese meal at the table. The whole family gathered uh, to feast around just the, the meat of God's word. Uh, so, so that's just if you can frame it like that, we're all here together around God's table, feasting on his word. Uh, this, uh, these little revelations about Babel that I'm going to share uh, are really special to me because it was the first time where I really felt like I can do this Bible study thing. <laughs> it's the first time that the Bible started to really make sense to me uh, when I first started putting all of this together uh, a long time ago. <laughs> and, uh, and so I wanted to share part of that as well, just the process that I went on. So it's the content of, of what I'm talking about as well as the process of how I got there uh, and, and to share that you can do it too. <laughs> Uh, because this Bible that we have, it's an incredible book. And I know when you first get into it, you think, what on earth is this all about? And, and especially if you start in Genesis and you work your way through, by about Genesis 6, everybody's going, what on earth are these Nephilim folk? And I don't know what's going on here. And so I want to encourage you, by the end of this message, I'd like to have added to your encouragement that, uh, that it is a beautiful book and that there is a long-term plan happening here and, and that the more, you, the more you know this book, the, the more mysterious it gets and the less mysterious it gets. So I'm not going to tell you it's all going to make sense, <laughs> but you will grow. And like anything beautiful, uh, the things that are just everything at face value are not as beautiful as the things that, that contain mystery. And the Bible is like this thing that has this beautiful face value, but it's also got this incredible mystery in it that we can, that we can mine for treasures in those, in those mysteries. And so I, I got to this revelation through uh, making it a habit of reading through the whole Bible. And so I started with a bookmark in Genesis, a bookmark at the beginning of Psalms, and the bookmark at the beginning of Matthew. And so that's kind of a good three, uh, three uh, parts. And if you read one chapter of each on a daily basis, I don't get there, not with three kids, but I try, <laughs> uh, that you actually work your way through the whole Bible. Uh, and in a nice three parallel streams, so you don't get stuck on the Nephilim and Genesis and, and think, what on earth is this all about? <laughs> uh, you, you get a lovely whole picture of the Bible. And so what I said to myself, every time I came up with questions, I wouldn't let it stop me. I wrote the question down, and I carried on reading. And I came up with a question. I have always lots of questions. I wrote it down, and I carried on reading. And the most amazing thing that happened was that as I read and I got this picture of the whole of Scripture, all of a sudden those questions were answered. So many of them I'd be reading. I'd go, yes, I was wondering about that. Yes, I've got it. Okay, I can see how I can see those connections. And so I really want to encourage you, if this is not a habit of yours, we have wonderful things like this that, that can now keep track of your reading, and you can have those bookmarks or in a paper Bible with your three, three bookmarks. Uh, if you have version, they have great Bible reading programs. I would really encourage you to do that. It has been the most amazing 
I think one of the most pivotal things I've done for my spiritual growth is making it a habit of, of uh, reading, through, reading through the whole Bible. I won't tell you how often I've done it because either you'll be highly disappointed or you'll be very impressed and I don't want either of those. So I'm just going to say, just do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so my experience was, was seeing those, those connections, and this is the fruit of, of seeing those connections. And I remember looking it up, and I couldn't find anybody else who, who had made these connections, and I was, I was so grateful that I could hear from the Holy Spirit. It was one of those moments where I go, I can do this thing. I can, I can hear, from, even me, I can hear from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what I'd also like you to see in this is that God is in it for the long haul. Because we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, Literally, I'll be talking all the way through the Bible and uh, just to see the, the immense scope of God's plan uh, over the, the, the ages. While we were singing, I just felt, I felt like God saying, um, I am the God of all ages, and he is the, the rock of ages. Throughout all the ages, we, we think that there's things going on, but he is just the rock that goes through all of it. And so just to give you some context in Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 to 3 was the creation and the fall. We know those quite well. Genesis 4 was the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Genesis 5, there's some genealogy from Adam to Noah. Uh, Genesis 6 to 9 is the story of the flood uh, up until Noah's death. And then Genesis 10, we have more genealogy. And then Genesis 11 is where we find the story of the Tower of Babel. And so I'll read that through, through for you. I did try and make it as big as I could. I'm sorry it's small, but Genesis 11 verse 1 to 3. <laughs> Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Let me read it from my notes so that I'm not facing away from you. Uh, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they said to one another, sorry, and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the, which the children of man had bought, built. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them there, <clears throat> dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. And therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Okay, so I remember first reading this and thinking, what on earth is going on here? And the usual summary, that if you just had that in a Bible study, and you're sitting with a group of people, the, 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 the quick summary and lesson from there would be the people built a tower from bricks to reach the heavens and to exalt themselves. God wasn't happy with that and so confused their language, languages so they couldn't carry on. So if we were doing our discipleship thing and someone said, put that in your own words, that would be my effort. <laughs> they, they, and so they stopped building. Uh, and what really was, was the issue here, and we'll get to that, but I'm, I'm just going to start at the top. So we're doing a, a, a real Bible exegesis here. What does, this, what does this scripture mean? So we'll go to... Uh, the bricks. Uh, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So I remember this was one of those moments where, I, where I, I made these connections because I was reading through Genesis and then I got to Exodus and uh, 
I saw these bricks again, and I, I thought, where else in Scripture have I seen bricks? And actually, there isn't anywhere else in Scripture that I can remember that we see bricks. And so these little bells start going off. And uh, so Exodus 1, verse 12 to 13. Oh, sorry, that's, that's a, an artist's rendition of what Babel would have looked like. There's lots of, some people think it looked like a ziggurat. Some people, you know, those kind of pyramidy shaped ones. Uh, there's all different ones, but I, I picked that one. So reaching into the heavens. But Exodus uh, 1, I won't read through that whole scripture, but just so if you're writing it down, writing down notes, you can see where it's from. Whenever anybody says one verse, I'm always reading the verses on the other side, so that's why I give a little bit extra. <laughs> so, but in Exodus, we see that uh, the, the Israelites were there uh, building um, uh, the, for the Pharaoh the store, store cities, and so it talks about the, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So the people were becoming numerous, uh, and they were spreading out, and, and uh, the Egyptians were worried about them. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. And so what happened was the Egyptians said, um, these guys are becoming too numerous. We have to work them harder. And what did they do to make them work harder? They gave them less straw. Because when you were making brick in those days, it was hard work. People were basically treading mud and straw to mix it through, and then they would bake it, and that's how they would. But the less straw you had, the harder work it was. And so they made it harder work and increased the demand. And so for the Israelites, bricks were uh, the mechanism of their slavery. And so here in Babel, we see that it was self-imposed. They had decided to make bricks. Uh, and that was, in a sense, their self-imposed slavery. Through their hard work, through their effort, through their physical labor, they were going to make this tower to exalt themselves. Uh, and the, the counterpoint to brick in Scripture is stone. And you see all through Scripture, when people make a, a, an altar, they have to make the altar, altar of unhewn stone, so not fashioned by human hands. As, as, it's, as it's received, so that when they're building the altar, the altar represents the lack of human effort. Whereas this tower represented the pinnacle, physically, of human effort. What God wants us to do is to come and worship the, at the altar, not at the tower of our own effort, but at the altar of what he provides for us. And so those unhewn stones represent the, the, the incredible provision that, that God gives us uh, in worship and in our salvation and in our interaction with him, actually, because that's the altar symbolized our interaction with God, is, is what he provides, not through the work of our own hands. Thank you. <laughs> and so um, this contrast is the contrast between God's strength and human efforts, and I feel like uh, that's one of the first, and so the, the title is Babel Redeemed. Okay, so we have this, this tower of human effort of brick, but what God says, it's not even just the altar of unhewn stone. He goes even further than that. And I always love how God always goes even further than that. Uh, and uh, Terry mentioned the, the stones, the living stones. Uh, and that in, um, in the Bible, we are described as, uh, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So it's not just that he, he provides that engagement point of an altar of unhewn stone, that he makes us his dwelling place 
and builds us into uh, an edifice of living stone with hearts of flesh. And, that's, and he chooses to glorify himself uh, through that, the, the living stones that he is building together. And uh, God takes us as we are, these unhewn stones, and he makes us into living stones and, and builds his, his, his dwelling place. And to me, that's just incredible how God takes the, these people who self-impose their slavery and external imposed slavery, and he says, no, let's make these people into living stones for their freedom. And also, interestingly enough, in Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, God gave, ne- gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream of a stone cut without hands that represents a kingdom set up by God. So even there, uh, you see this, this prophetic foreshadowing of these living stones that God is going to build into something incredible. <clears throat> so let's not self-impose slavery. <laughs> let's acknowledge the, the incredible provision that God has given us that with the unhewn stones uh, and that we are those living stones and let's not uh, waste our energy and our efforts into building towers to our own glory but to, but to becoming the, the, uh, the, the, the picture of his glory. So that's the bricks. The next thing is that... Uh, it says, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And then they said, uh, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And that word for city means a walled city. So not just a little, a little gathering. It's a, it's a walled city. And make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. So they're saying, we are going to gather together. We are going to uh, bring ourselves together. We don't want to be dispersed. But what did God say? He said, go forth and multiply. Spread out and subdue the earth. And then after the flood, again, go forth and multiply. Multi- multiply. <laughs> multiply, I like that. My brain goes on a crazy, crazy, I have multiply pictures in my head now. Must stop. I'll write that down and think about it later. <laughs> multiply and, uh, and, and spread out because now the earth needs people populating it. So, so go, 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 go. And God was really serious about this. <laughs> but the people were really serious about not going. And what's interesting is that uh, there was about 100 years from the end of the flood until this point. So it's just within living memory if you look at about the lifespans at the time. And uh, the people that are referred to here are essentially the descendants of, of Noah, his wife, his three sons and their three wives. Uh, and so it would have been in living memory of, of the flood um, for, for some of the, the older, older folk. But it shows to me a, a, a failure on the part of those descendants. I don't know, maybe it's a failure to listen or a failure to speak uh, in not communicating that word to go, to go forth and multiply. Uh, either the elders failed to mention it or the youngers failed to listen, but either way, there was a breakdown in communication. And so people chose to, to uh, huddle together rather than, than, than spreading. And the other part of that is that they wanted to make a name for themselves. So it says, come let us uh, make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. And for me, I think this is really the crux of what's going on here. So this is the, the little linchpin that holds it all together. Some people say that they wanted to build a tower to reach higher than the floodwaters, <laughs> so that if the flood happened again, they'd be able to, they'd be able to escape. Uh, they might have forgotten that God said he wasn't going to do that again, but, but maybe that was part of the breakdown in communication. Um, but, but I'd propose that it's, it's about exalting themselves. And, uh, I mean, if we look at, at the fall of Satan as well, what was that? That was this, this kind of, you know, uh, 
self-exaltation thing uh, played obviously a huge part in that. And so what does it mean for us in our building as individuals and as a community? And for me, it's really about just surrendering everything to his glory. That whether I, I win or lose, pass or fail, whatever, I do everything for his, for his glory and I surrender to his will and I, I, I don't want to do anything to prove my own cleverness. I want to, in all things, reflect his glory and his incredible majesty and his amazing grace. And we see the alternative of that here where they, they were wanting to exalt themselves and make a name. And if you think about it in a grand global scale, no matter what kind of tall tower we can make, in the majesty of the heavens, really... <laughs> it's really nothing. And so on our own, in our own glory, we can, we can actually do very little. But as we, as, we, as we pull into the tide of God's glory, uh, the swell of God's glory, then uh, things become magnified. And so as we're building here at Highway as a community, I feel an encouragement to ensure that we are always building for God's glory, uh, not for my ministry or my cleverness or my wonderfulness or individuals or individual names or even the name of Highway Christian Community. That's not the name that we're building for, that we, we always look to the name of Jesus. Whatever we're doing, we, we, we see Jesus and say, Jesus, where's your glory in this? And, and find those things, that it's, it's really everything surrendered to his glory. And the, the, the other thing with that is, is it's not about huddling together in our walled city and protecting this thing and building this, this tower to ourselves, but it's about going, actually. And God is serious about that, so serious that that's why he, he confused their languages. He was that serious about going uh, that, he, that he confused their languages. And, and he's serious about us going as well. It's not about a walled city. We are the living stones and we go forth and we spread his glory. Rather than glorifying ourselves, we take his glory to the nations. And so in John, have I got it there? That's the one I didn't put up. But in John 5, yes, sorry, my reference at the top is wrong. But John uh, 5, it says John 6 at the top. That's how I was confused. John 5, where Jesus says, now the Judeans are, are coming against him. And uh, he says, I do not receive glory from people. I have come in my Father's name. So it's not about exalting our own names. I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. But then, how can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And it sounds there like he's making them mutually exclusive. When you seek the glory from, from one another, that it's, it's, it stops us from seeking the glory of God. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are focused on only God's glory and not the glory of ourselves or glory from, from others. And so how does God redeem this? Because it's not just, okay, don't, don't exalt yourselves. What does God do? Uh, and what he does is he says that uh, he gives us a name. And so as a group, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, uh, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So those are the names that he has given us as a group, as a, as a unit. And there's so many others. There's, we are his bride, we are the, the, his body, we are so many things. And those are all of the names that I've given us. And rather than somebody, you know, 
giving me a name or making a name for me, that's the name that I want. I want the name that Jesus gives me. And then even in, in uh, uh, Isaiah, um, the Spirit of the Lord is on, on me. Uh, and then it, it's from the verse where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. But it, you, will, you will be called the priests of the Lord, and they will speak of you as ministers of our God. So those are the names that God wants to give us. And so I told you I was going to go into Revelation. In Revelation, on an individual basis, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. And just in case you started thinking, oh, I'm not feeling like I'm conquering very much in my life. Uh, in same John, who wrote Revelation, in 1 John, that's 1 John 5, verse 4 to 5. I don't have it there. 1 John 5, verse 4 to 5. He says that those who overcome are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you believe Jesus, you have overcome. <laughs> you are an overcomer. And so to him who conquers, and that, con that word there is also translated overcome, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except him who receives it. And so they could spend a whole lot of energy making their na a name for themselves, but Jesus has a name for each of us. His, his secret name that he gives to each one of us individually. And it also somewhere says that he writes our name uh, on his hand. I think even the, the word sometimes used is he tattoos our name on his hand. That's the name that I want. That's the name that I want, the name that Jesus calls me, uh, not the name that I make for myself. And so instead of a tower growing up out of a city to make for themselves, we have a new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven. So you see later in Re Revelation as well, it talks about a new, new Jerusalem, a city out of heaven uh, in which we are the pillars. And he gives us that name. Uh, and so it's, it's a totally different picture that God gives us. So he doesn't just say, not that, and then let us muddle along. He says, this is where we're going. All along, that was his plan, was the new Jerusalem, this, this incredible city in heaven. And I think maybe they had a picture of that. They had something that there's some majesty there somewhere, there's some, some something, but they, they focused it onto themselves instead of, instead of onto God and built their own city. And whereas God was in it for the long haul, he's like, no, guys, you've mucked this up, and you, you, you've made this thing of your own, and it's really like, whatever, uh, but, but I've got something bigger, uh, so let's go for something bigger. And, and so that made me think, and sometimes we, we kind of try and short-circuit the things that God has for us. And uh, there was this, this incredible, majestic plan all along, and maybe they had an inkling of it, and, and they tried to do it themselves and build this thing themselves with their own effort on the bricks and carrying and uh, making this big thing. And Jesus was wanting to say, but that's not, that's not it. You've missed it completely. I've got this massive thing for you, and you're happy with, with that. And, uh, and I, I felt like God saying, for people in our lives, uh, don't short-circuit the purposes of God. Um, if, if you're tempted to start building that tower with your own hands, God has called you something to something and you can see it and you know it. Don't start building it with your own effort and your own brute force and sweat and all of those things. Let God work through you to build what he's wanting to build. And it sometimes takes longer. It often takes longer. But it's going to have way more impact and it's going to last a lot longer. And so we get to the languages. Ah, there you go. To him who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Um, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God of my heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear. 
and this one from Isaiah. I jumped a bit too far ahead there. Here's the one from Isaiah. It shall come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nations shall flow to it. So God's plan was then for, for everyone to disperse and then later to be re, re-brought into this mountain of the Lord. And many people shall come, and say, uh, shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and may, we may walk in his paths. From out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So where God is, is, is serious about going and bringing, uh, we don't want to make a holy huddle that's at cross purposes with God's uh, going and gathering. So I was getting on to there. So it talks about how they had uh, the same words and the same language. And what that means, you think, why I say the same words in the same language? What that basically means was that they had one accent even. So it wasn't even one, one language with lots of accents. It was one language with one accent. And now we, we have about 6,000 more, but around 6,000 languages in the world, as far as I, I, I'm able to understand, and which it's believed that they come from about 20 root languages. And there's a lot of dispute about, about the, the various things. I did some, some, uh, a little bit of extra research on this. Uh, and what I found was that there's huge controversy about the origin of language. Where did, where did languages actually come from? If we, if we consider movies, they'll normally have this idea of kind of cave people speaking in grunts and then eventually becoming more and more, uh, more, and more uh, complex developing language and those kinds of things. Uh, and that's kind of the idea that, that we've, been, we've been given about how language was, was developed. But actually, uh, there, there is... I, I, I can't say no evidence because I can't absolutely say there's 100% zero evidence, 100% zero, you know what I'm saying, about, um, for, the, for the, the evolution of language. Uh, but, but there really is absolutely precious little, if at all. And uh, the evidence actually suggests more that, that languages sprung into being almost fully formed, which is really, really fascinating. And uh, with all their complexity... And, and so I think that that does tie in quite neatly with the Babel story, but the main point that I'm trying to get to was that language was a source of unity for those people. That was how they were able to communicate to each other and get done what they wanted to do. And by, by, by confusing their language, they had to disperse. They had to spread out. You can imagine all of a sudden people start talking different languages and they, and they look at each other and... and just can't communicate anymore and, you know, kind of like those party games where they, you know, make animal noises until you find the other person making the same animal noise as you and they're just walking around until they find someone who talks the same language as them. That's my, my picture and my imagination at, you know, at the moment of confusion. Um, so they were forced to disperse and so, like I said, God was really serious about them multiplying and spreading and going forth. But then how is that redeemed? Let's have a look. So in Zephaniah, we see uh, uh, the, the foreshadowing of that redemption. For at that time, I will change the speech of, peoples to, of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him in one accord. And so we see in Acts, that's where we see the redemption of what happened at Babel. 
In Acts 2, at Pentecost, interestingly, they were all together in one place. There was that unity there. And uh, divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And of the sound, the multitude, at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak his own language. And so that picture of people speaking, hearing all of a sudden foreign languages at them at Babel, this is like the reverse of that. All of a sudden people were hearing their own language. Uh, and for me, this was uh, the, that moment of redemption, of the confusing of languages happened here. And it's not just a new uh, 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 people language, but it's a spiritual language. So it's not just fixing it, but fully redeeming it in the way that only God can. And so then they ask, how is it that we each hear, that we hear each of us in his own native language? They were amazed and astonished. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And so it's through that Holy Spirit that we now have this unity again, that we can have this unity of purpose, because really they had a unity of purpose and a unity of this, this common language, and that was what allowed them to do what were great exploits, actually, but in the wrong direction. <laughs> but now with, with the Holy Spirit motivation, the Holy Spirit unity, and this new language that we've been given, we have everything we need to perform great exploits for God's glory. And I, I just, this to me was just so incredible that God really absolutely redeemed all the mess-ups of, of the past, and he, he, he wove it all into, into his plan and said, let's, let's, let's make this even better than it was before. And so what did they do well? They weren't a total bunch of Charlies. They did something well, and uh, that was the unity. So I'm going to go back over here. And so the people of Babel... They were unified in their purpose, as I mentioned, and they did this incredible thing. It's when it says they, uh, they spoke each one to another, it's, it's, you know how you, in a play where they say, okay, now everybody speak to each other. It's that kind of, everybody, they all kind of, and then we can do this, and then we can da 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 that's, that's the idea that you get from that, uh, from that, that each spoke to one another. And, and so as we're encouraged in the Bible to encourage one another towards good deeds, they were encouraging one another towards not so good deeds, <laughs> but God knows how powerful that is. He, he built the power of unity into the fabric of our being, uh, and they wanted to use it for bad, but when we see, even he acknowledged, if they can do this, what other nonsense can they get up to? But in the same sense, if they could do that in the wrong direction, what can we do in the right direction? Now, even with the power of the Holy Spirit, post-cross, post-salvation, post all of those things, we have what it takes. To, to build something incredible for God's glory uh, and through his power. And, and so the Psalm 133, uh, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when the brothers dwell in unity. It's a precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing forevermore, life forevermore. And so that uh, oil and the dew, those are both pictures of the Holy Spirit. Where there's unity, the Holy Spirit flows. And so I really wanted to uh, encourage all of us to, to have a unified purpose and a unified heart uh, and, and make space for the Holy Spirit to flow through that unity uh, that, we, that we create as, as a body. And 
if, if there are things that are causing disunity between you and, and another individual, find a way to work through that and find a way to, to uh, be ruthless in your desire for unity. That doesn't mean that everyone has to agree. That doesn't mean that everyone has to be the same, but it means a unity of purpose and a unity of, of heart and moving in the same direction. Uh, I think it's probably even better that we don't agree <laughs> in some places because it helps us to, to uh, learn and to grow uh, in, in our understanding of things. Um, but, but as long as we're all walking in the same direction, uh, we can do incredible things. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, the last little thing that I was wanting to say is our language is important. And the, as it was their, their, their language that gave them unity and their language that pulled them apart, so our language can, can give us unity again. And I have this word, I'm sure someone else uses it, but I use it, and I call it team speak. And uh, how do we speak about the team that we are part of in our various teams? And it's so interesting how you can tell from someone's language whether they see themselves as on the team or not. And so uh, just as this little, little minor note, just, just look at your language and say, is mine a language of team speak? Am I speaking as a member of the team? And if not, why not? Is it, is it a sense of, of, is it a critical heart that is critical of what the team is doing and how they're doing it? Uh, and then that's something that needs to be dealt with. So often our language is just a symptom of what's actually happening on the inside. And so I felt like God wanting to say, just keep an eye on your language, your, how you use language and how you use words, because there's incredible power in that. What did he use to break them apart? He used language. To bring them together, he uses language. He uses words. Uh, and there are, as we know from James, there's power in our words. And so let's, let's, let's watch our words uh, for the power that they have and use them as powerful good rather than powerful bad. And the, the very last little thing <laughs> I just wanted to remind is that uh, don't shortcut the purposes of God. Um, I know I mentioned that earlier, but I felt like I just wanted to say one more time, don't shortcut the purposes of God. He's got incredible things that he wants to do, but uh, wonderful ways that he wants to do them in. So let's work together to do them in the ways that God wants, wants to do them. And if you see things in your life that are not being redeemed, just know that God has a long-term plan to redeem them. He is the God of all the ages. And his plan is for full and final and incredible and spectacular redemption of all things. There is nothing, not one thing, that is beyond his redemption. And even that thing that you're looking at in your heart right now, and you say, but what about? But what about? It is not outside of his redemption that he can take that thing and not just fix it, not just put some tape over it, not just hold it together with blow drought. He can, masking tape, whatever. He can redeem it far and beyond anything uh, that we can, that we can even, even conceive of. So be encouraged. Uh, where, there's, where there's despair, I've, I also had this, this sense that for people where there's despair, uh, that word, um, the sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning that God has got an incredible plan to redeem and joy will come in the morning. Thank you. <laughs>